As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Straight out of Cobham, a show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. On this episode, to Alan Back as Chelsea head to Yorkshire, we get the inside track on Leeds, there's transfer news to summarise, defeat for a star-studded under-21 side, and our weekly quiz, available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is Straight Out of Cobham. Here we are then, listeners. Second of our bi-weekly Chelsea chats coming up. We're going to be previewing the game against Leeds United this weekend. Lots of other stuff to talk about too. I'm Matt Davis-Adams, joined by one of the Athletics Chelsea experts, Dominic Fifield, fresh from holiday. How are you doing, Dom? I'm very, very well, Matt. How are you? Uh, yeah, I'm okay. Six out of ten. It's raining quite hard and I got very <laughs> wet on my dog walk this morning. But hey, uh, enough about my struggles. Let's introduce Sam Parkin. Uh, Sam, you having a good week? Very good, mate. Yeah, had a good morning. Had a very intense game of tennis about 6am with a two-year-old. Um, could have you gone win. better. He's gone yeah. double, double-handed, forehand, which I'm a bit <laughs> amused about, but we've got time on our side. Yeah, you're backhand notoriously weak, so uh, I would fancy <laughs> Sid to get the better of you fairly quickly. Uh, right, let's start today by looking ahead to this weekend's match. Another Sunday assignment for Chelsea then as they go to Leeds for a two o'clock kickoff UK time. Uh, later, we'll speak to the Leeds United reporter for the Athletic, Phil Hale, give us the lowdown on the home side. But let's talk Chelsea first. Uh, Don, we're still waiting for, for confirmation that Thomas Tuchel won't be on the touchline for this game, but but we're working on that assumption, right? He's, he's going to get a suspension for what happened against Spurs last weekend. Yeah, I'd imagine so. I'd imagine the club... Uh are anticipating his absence. Um, I'm not quite sure what that means. I mean, is he allowed into the changing rooms to do tactical talks pre-match and at half-time? I mean, whatever, whether that's whether that's not allowed or not, permitted or not, it will be, they'll find a way of getting his message through the, the coaching staff onto the pitch. So it's not a, it's not a major issue, I don't think. Um, but yeah, there were always going to be ramifications from that squabble on the, uh, the touchline at the end of the game. Um, and uh, his absence at Ellen Road should be anticipated. Um, says the man who watched an episode of All or Nothing last night, it, it's probably <laughs> not as big a deal as, as it would have been if he if he can't get into the dressing room to give a team talk, would it? Because players kind of used to, to this happening via Zoom occasionally now with what we've lived through for the last couple of years. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's not a, as outrageous as it would have been once. Like, oh, you, you're without the manager for the game. I think it kind of depends on the um, characteristics of the manager, maybe. Um, I think Thomas Tuchel being in the technical area probably does have an impact, I would say, in relation to some of the more low-key, relaxed managers uh, in the Premier League and across the board. So, In the technical area or around the technical area or just somewhere within <laughs> like a 50-yard radius of the technical area? Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think that Thomas Tuchel strikes me as the type of manager who plays every pass that can be to the detriment of the team and I've played for managers who even if you popped it to the midfield player it should have gone to the right back and uh, so on and so forth I don't think he strikes me as that type of manager but he's definitely got a presence so I think you want him in the dressing room and in an ideal world you want him in the dugout as you would want Antonio Conte because they are hugely demanding and probably have a real positive effect so I think it will have a uh, a slight negative effect, but 
you know, these are these are top class players and they'll they'll adapt, I'm sure. Well, somebody who's definitely not going to be involved is N'Golo Kante. We think he's going to be out for up to a month with this hamstring injury. Um, Dom, you've, you've written about the dilemma that Chelsea face with him in terms of his future. We spoke about it a bit on Monday too. One year left on his contract, often injured, uh, big wages, etc. Um, has, has this this injury changed your mind as to what you would do with him? Would, would it be a let him run out his contract and then go next year kind of deal? Do you think that Chelsea got the backups to be able to cover for him playing 50% of the games this season? I mean, personally, I I think it's it's unthinkable to let Angelo Kante walk away from your club on a on a free transfer um, when he can perform even for eighty minutes as he did at the weekend. He's still got that in him. It's just how many times he can get that out of him over the course of a season. But I, I would I would be desperate to to try and retain him in the hope that that for the key contests you can still call upon him to to perform like that. Uh, look, I'm I'm. I'm aware that you you can't necessarily build a team around him anymore. That those days have probably gone. The fragility in his body and the the susceptibility to to soft tissue injuries is is very obvious, and has been really since what the summer of 2019. Um, but I still think he offers you so much. I mean, you only have to look at the the sense of panic in France. At the moment, that, that that if he is ruled out for a month, which seems the sort of likeliest timescale, although everybody is guessing to a certain extent because he only did the MRIs on on Tuesday, and there'll be you know there's very much an internal process to to ascertain what you know the extent of the damage, etc. But if he's out for a month, then he's unlikely to be able to feature in France's only get together before the World Cup. They have two games against I think it's Austria and Denmark towards the end of September, and you know, given that Paul Pogba is also injured, the, the French are considering, you know, the, the, this this horrible scenario where they might be without two of their most key performers in midfield and players who were mainstays at the World Cup when they won it in 2018. So it's that that is an indication of the calibre of player we're talking about and the, and the influence that he still carries. So uh, I don't think Chelsea are in a position to to lose a player like that on a free transfer. But that said, Asking him to take a big wage cut from what two hundred ninety grand a week is not going to be easy. If there are suitors out there that might still offer him that type of money, and there may well be, there may be will be suitors in France that offer him that that kind of money. Uh, we all know the club that's likeliest to do that. It's 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 a really difficult situation and one that I'm sure would have occupied Todd Bowley's mind as he flew back to the states on Sunday night. Uh, Sam, with regards to, to Sunday's game, we're recording the pod on Wednesday, so we don't know what's happening with Mateo Kovacic, who might be available uh, for this match. We spoke on Monday about Conor Gallagher's suitability to step in. I just wonder if maybe we, we overlook Carney Chukwemeka. Might, might there be an opportunity for him to at least make a squad here? Possibly. I don't think he'll be thrown into this, uh, this game, a game of this magnitude. I think given what we've seen from Leeds so far, given what we expect them to be this season, there'd be a strong argument to play Conor Gallagher for his tenacity. I think if he can have, you know, the tactical discipline that we've spoken of before, I think the the lack of bodies in the in the box is a, is a valid argument at the moment. I think in the, the two games that's been evident, he'll give you that. He'll make the box when the balls are coming in from wide. Um, so I think the manager's got a big decision to make. You could put Loftus-Cheek into the middle, he could be rewarded for what was a brilliant display, but I don't think too much is done in the Premier League on sentiment. It's about winning that game. What's the best tactical setup for the, this encounter? So I would put Conor Gallagher as favourite. There's going to be a few decisions for the manager to make, um, probably down that right-hand side. But this might be a good game. I think of the players they've got in there, Adams, Rockler, they've started the season well. The type of player that Leeds have recruited are going to be combative and Gallagher ticks those boxes. I guess the other big selection dilemma, Dom, is, is what Sam's alluded to there, as, as in who plays at, at wing-back. I, th- I don't think Kukurea's done much to, to think that he'll lose his place, but but an interesting decision as to what you do with Rhys James, because he played well in, in both positions that he played on Sunday. Are you having him back at wing-back for this game and, and bring Aspilicueta back into defence, potentially? I just love Rhys James at wing-back. I just think he's irrepressible down that flank, and he offers so much... In terms of Chelsea's attacking play, that he, he, the threat is is down the channels. It's down. It's down the flanks. It's, it's. They've got a wonderful, they've got wonderful options now on the left side. Um, Kukurea is a, 
is an outstanding player. And I mean, it may well get to the point where his arrival has serious implications for Ben Chilwell at international level because once he gets going, uh, he he could become undroppable. He's he's a he's a properly good player. He may need to cut his hair, obviously, but but generally speaking, he is an outstanding talent. And on the right, when Reese James is flying at you, I think I think teams panic. I think I just think it's very difficult to stop him. So I would always have him at right wing back. I, I completely appreciate why he has played at at right centre half because he's he's a bloody good there as well but but I think just for the, the attacking threat he carries and particularly in a game like this uh, at, at Leeds I would I would want him on the wing um, which would mean yeah it would mean as Piliqueta probably most likely dropping back in at, at, at right side centre half which again is no bad thing it's going to be a febrile atmosphere at Ellen Road and having an experienced head adding to I mean a, a hugely experienced back three then if you've got you know, Espeliqueta and Thiago Silva and and Koulibaly, That's 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 outstanding in terms of in terms of weathering that storm. They, they, they'll have seen all this before, and, and I think that would be beneficial to Chelsea as well. Well, Chelsea had a comfortable win at Ellen Road back in May. Let's see how Leeds are at the start of the new season then, and bringing the Athletics Leeds United correspondent Phil Hay. Uh, Phil, over the last couple of seasons, we've spoken on the podcast about the, the historical rivalry between Chelsea and Leeds, obviously came to the fore in the 70s. I just wonder, if is it still a big thing from a Leeds supporter's perspective? I think it is. The only problem has been that for you know the best part of 20 years, the game hasn't really been there. You know They, they haven't played a great deal. Um, so the, the kind of rivalry has had nothing to hang itself on, but it definitely is. They sing about Chelsea. Ellen Road in a, a sort of non-complimentary way, <laughs> and you're right. It's, it's kind of never that little bit of rivalry has never died since the seventies when you know they they were going head to head as Leeds were with Liverpool and, and Manchester United at the time. So yeah, no, it's it's definitely there in the background, but you you couldn't pretend that it's on the same level as it is. At, you know the, the kind of rivalry and and antipathy with with Manchester United. It's it's not quite like that, but it's um it's not far off either. Uh, let's bring it back to the present day then. Four points from, from two games so far. I guess there was a bit of disappointment about what happened last weekend there, having been 2-0 up at, at Southampton. But generally, are you feeling the benefit of a, of a Jesse Marsh pre-season? I'm sure he's pleased to have, to have managed to get that time in with his players after being parachuted in last term. I think they'll be pretty happy. You're right about Saturday. It was it was a game, oh, it was a result, a win thrown away um, in the end. But... I think what, what they'll be able to tell from the two games is that they, they deserve to win both of them. And that, to a large extent, has broken them out of the rut they were in last season when, you know, more often than not, they looked like losing every game they were playing. That was the problem with Leeds. It, it went from the first Premier League season when you kind of fancied them going anywhere, you know, going to Chelsea, going to Old Trafford, going to Anfield. You, you kind of thought there's a bit of magic in this team. They, you know, they, they could turn it on anywhere to almost fearing for them in, in most fixtures that they played. And, and that was certainly the case towards the end of the season. It was a hard introduction for Marsh. Um, I think everybody would, would accept that in the end, they were quite lucky to stay up. You know, they, they made it happen um, away at Brentford on the last day. But the bottom line was that had Burnley won against Newcastle at Tough Moor, then, then Leeds would have been down. I think looking at these first two games, you can see the extent to which they've been coached, the extent to which Marsh has drilled his tactics into them, the extent to which that I guess the, the style of play that he's looking for has, has taken hold. There are issues with the team, clearly, and, and I think defensively that was obvious in the last 20 minutes against Southampton. But to a large extent down there, I think I think Marsh will regret his, his failure to make substitutions at 2-0 um, Failure to to make changes at the point where Leeds looked like they were they were starting to come under pressure and Southampton were were starting to build up ahead of steam, but I think deep down he'll be pretty happy with the way that it's um, the way that it's starting to pan out and the way that his team are, are starting to adapt to his tactical model. Phil, just just on that, I think most people expect uh, someone who's been part of Red Bulls to play high octane football. Um, high energy, get the ball forward quickly. Is that the philosophy we should expect uh, from Jesse Marsh or is he putting his own stamp on things? No, it, it very much is like that. It's it's vertical football. Without being direct in the sense of long ball, it, it is a case of it, when you when you turn overs, um, pressing, good pressing, good counter-pressing, and once you win the ball, be quick with it, you know, advance the ball up the pitch quickly 
that is the style, the Red Bull model you can definitely see in his football. I think the difference this season is that they've signed players who will who that sort of system will work for. The, the squad he inherited last season was very much Marcel Bielsa's squad. It was a hundred percent drilled in Bielsa's methods and, and ideas. And the adaptation period did seem tough to begin with. It did seem difficult. It, it wasn't quick. It wasn't as if Marsh came in and, and overnight there was this huge transformation with the way the team were playing. But I think with the benefit of pre-season, the benefit of a full transfer window and specifically signing players who will fit into the model that he's looking for, it has made a difference without any doubt. So you will see that. You will see Leeds trying to press. You'll see them trying to counter-press. You'll see them trying to be very, very quick with the ball when they, they get it. It's not as if they, you won't see much kind of dithering out wide. You won't see much kind of patience around the box. It is a case of get the ball, be active with it, um, do damage if you can. Phil, I, I suppose any preview of a Leeds-Chelsea game these days has to involve uh, a look at Patrick Bamford, the former Chelsea youth team player. Uh, what is the extent of his groin injury picked up at Southampton? Is he likely to feature this weekend? Are Leeds in the market for a centre-forward or we, will we see Daniel James um, attempting to stay on the pitch uh, this, this time at, at Ellen Road? I don't think he will play. Uh, we'll see Marsh on Friday. We'll, we'll hear from him. Um, but as much as Bamford was expected to train this week, I, I think they might um, be cautious with him. It's a, it's a difficult situation with him because he, he missed, give or take, the whole of last season. He'd play, you know, start the odd game here and there. He, he was there for the beginning of it. But from kind of September onwards, just couldn't, you know, just couldn't get over the injury problems that, that he had. And because of that, Marsh was saying at the weekend, they are still managing him. They are still limiting his training load through the week. They are still, I think, very conscious of the fact that he's trying to get back to the point where it can just be game after game after game, you know, with without any problem. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if, if he isn't involved at the weekend. I think the player they will have involved is um, is Joe Gelhart. I think he'll be back in the squad. Um, he had a dead leg at the weekend, but but should be fine. My suspicion is, or, or what, what I expect, is that Marsh will probably go with Rodrigo at nine. He was... Good on Saturday when he moved into that position, he scored twice. Um, I think it's probably a position that suits him more than playing in the more slightly more withdrawn role at, at 10, which has never looked like it's, it's been sort of made for him. But both Marsh and Bielsa have tried to use him there um, for better or, or for worse. In terms of a centre-forward, there's a lot of pressure on the club to do a centre-forward because they still look light in that area. They they really, really wanted Charles de Ketelaar from Club Bruges. He's gone to AC Milan, so that one hasn't happened. And and since that kind of passed them by, there's been very little movement on that front. And the, the, the message that's coming from the club seems to be indicating that they're more inclined to sit tight and do nothing rather than sign somebody in their, you know, in, in their mind for the sake of it. I still think they need another centre-forward, I think, particularly because there is this kind of message with Bamford that he's not 100% fit yet, that they are having to look after him, they are having to be careful with him. I think that's a, a position where they could definitely do with some cover. Um, but at the moment, there's, um, there's no sign of anybody coming in. Uh, Phil, before we let you go, I noticed that your your piece in the aftermath of the Southampton game talks about teams having a lot of success attacking Leeds in in wide areas. Um, this is a problem for them, though, with Chelsea coming to town and, and Rhys James and either Ben Chilwell or Kukurea. That that can often be Chelsea's main attacking threats. So they're going to have to be very mindful of that on Sunday. Yeah, absolutely. And it was it became very obvious during pre-season, I thought, during the friendlies, that that was where they were vulnerable and that was where teams could could expose them. And it's certainly been the case in, in the first two games of the season. The way the Marsh plays with the 4-2-3-1, the, the three in behind you centre forward, so Bamford for the sake of argument, is very, very narrow. Um, so even though you can have wingers in there like Jack Harrison or um, Lewis Sinistera when, when he's fit and, and available to start, it's narrow to the extent that it's almost like having three number 10s in behind your, your centre forward. And what it means is that you, any width that you're going to get in the team has to come from your fullback. So there's pressure on them and there's an expectation from Marsh that they will push on. But because of that, it does run the risk of leaving gaps in the flanks um, when, when you are either, uh, when teams counter-attack or you know when, when teams come forward. Uh, so that is definitely, definitely something to, to look at. And I thought James had an extremely good game against Spurs um, at the weekend. And I think, like you say, on, on both sides, I think Chelsea will be a threat there. We hope so. Uh, Phil, thanks so much for your time today. Enjoy the game on Sunday. Thank you. 
Phil Hay there. So good. He's got his own show. It's called The Phil Hay Show. If you know a Leeds United supporter, uh, send them in the direction of that. Uh, in terms of the head-to-head record, Chelsea, as I said earlier, 3-0 win in May. Mount early on. Dan James got sent off for that horror tackle on Kovacic. Pulisic and Lukaku scored after half-time. It means Chelsea are unbeaten in their last four games against Leeds since they returned to the Prem, winning three of those. Leeds' last win was 2-0 at Ellen Road in 2002. OK, next today, we're going to talk transfers. If you're into your tactics and football analytics and you're looking for a deeper understanding of the game, you can join me, Ali Maxwell, along with Michael Cox and the rest of the Athletics data team for our Football Tactics podcast. Find new episodes every week on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Still lots happening in the transfer market with regards to Chelsea, both incomings and outgoings. Uh, Anthony Gordon is the big one at the moment. Everton say he's not for sale, but sources have told The Athletic a £50 million bid might change their minds. There's a piece up on the site today by Patrick Boylan and Greg O'Keefe detailing what type of player Gordon is and why Frank Lampard is so keen to keep him. Um, Don, bit of head scratching and we indulged in some of that on Monday as to why Chelsea were all of a sudden in for this player. We, we've spoken about Leeds earlier. I just wonder if, uh, are they thinking that he can take the spot that Rafinha was supposed to? Is, is that where they're envisaging him fitting into the squad as a kind of wide forward player? Well, that's that's where his forte is. I think the, the piece that Paddy and, and Greg have written suggests as much. Um, he has in the first two games of this season, been asked to play in, in a central role, which is not his, that's not his game. That's, that's you know, that's for people like Sam to be playing, not for for waifs like Anthony Gordon to be attempting. And that's necessity that's driven that decision by Frank Lampard. Um, the weird thing about this is that even at £50 million, Chelsea would be buying potential, not the finished article, not someone that's going to walk into the team necessarily at the beginning and rip it up, but somebody that, that will, would add to the squad is lightning quick, is very skillful. His work ethic is, is second to none, apparently. He's got his some pretty impressive suitors out for him. I mean, if Thomas Tuchel is championing his, his, his signing, then that's a good start. But I mean, Eddie Howe wanted him at, at Newcastle earlier this summer, and Antonio Conte's tried to get him to Spurs already this summer. Frank Lampard's been hugely impressed. Rafa Benitez before him made him a mainstay of the Everton team. He really has been a talismanic figure at, at Everton at a pretty grim time where they've been desperate to latch onto a local talent who can propel them forwards, and they'll be devastated to lose him if, if indeed he ends up at Stamford Bridge. But it's almost like it's one of these signings that, that Chelsea seem to be targeting with the future in mind. It's it's he'll play a part if he comes this season. Obviously he'll play he'll play games, but whether he finds his way immediately into the first team to displace a what a Havertz or a Sterling on the left side of a front three is surely open to debate. So so what's the motivation for the player here? Then Sam, is it the fact that you're being linked with a, a team who were European champions a couple of years ago and a, and a reigning world champions, and you back yourself to make the breakthrough into the first team, or are you just thinking this is a chance for me to earn the type of money that's going to set me up for life? Combination, I think. Um, yeah, chance that may not arise again. I think when the interest becomes so strong, it's probably an indication that Chelsea know that they may miss the boat on this one, that the interest may gather pace from from other top clubs so you want to get in early and and get it done if you really trust the player and and believe in him and and rate him as highly as they they clearly do i feel like we've been watching gordon for years actually <laughs> matt i feel like we've been sat uh, in a in a booth watching uh, everton's quite um how how shall i put it quite old-fashioned style of play in their 23s. Yes. Yeah, pragmatic. And he would be the one that would light it up. You know, they invariably would have two strikers, 
bully Chelsea and get results. And he would be the one playing on one of the flanks, as Dom said, who has got this kind of guile. He's got a nice way about running with the ball, kind of travels quickly with it. So he's probably caught their eye through those games as well. So someone that, you know, is impressed at academy level and they'd be well aware and that those conversations funnel up to the to the top and the hierarchy given the way they're going about things in the transfer market uh, this summer. So he's not going to come in and play every game, but I think there's probably a bit of that about it. Uh, you're ahead of the rest of the clubs if you go and splash this money now. If he has another good season in the Premier League, that price could be inflated. So go and get him now. And and I think the, the point Dom just made there, Lampard loves him. The... Uh, comparison to Mason Mount, I, I read about as well in terms of his mentality. They're the type of lads you want to go after. Ones that are, what is it, low maintenance, high performance. That's the phrase, isn't it? And if he fits that mould, there we go. Uh, another one who might come into that category is Cesare Casaday uh, into Milan. And Chelsea have apparently struck a deal for him to come to West London for £12.6 million plus add-ons. He's a 19-year-old Italian midfielder, yet to make a first-team appearance, but did play for Italy in the under-19 Euros in their run to the final, uh, where they were beaten by England this summer. It's fascinating this, isn't it, Dom, that this particular recruitment strategy of buying these young players, it feels like it, it actually might be quite high risk, but potentially really high reward as well. You know, if you're paying between 12 and 20 million for these kind of relatively unproven players, there's got to be a pathway for them. But potentially you could be getting players worth 10 times that amount in a few years time. Yeah, you could be. I mean, if they get given opportunities and pathway is the key, key word there, and it's not always open and obvious at Chelsea but um, there's, there's, there's there's a sense to it if you get them at a, at a decent price um, and you feel that, that that level of potential is is there that that makes them you know appealing investments etc it's almost like they're replenishing their stocks and, and at uh, 23's level um, in the hope that some of these guys make it into the first team break into the first team they only probably need one or two to do that to almost justify the strategy you know, well, I, I, I don't know. I don't know how it's viewed within the academy itself, or whether it's a reflection of the academy, or, or indeed the poor season that twenty threes had last season, possibly. Um, but it's just, it's just almost revitalising the place, just bringing in a few fresh faces and a, a few players that you that you think have got a lot of potential and promising futures. But they, as you say, they need to have a, a route into the first team to to develop and to. And to prove their worth, and I mean, Cesaro Casade at nineteen, you wouldn't expect him necessarily to be anywhere near the first team when he comes when he comes in. He's 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 a player again for the future, um, but if he progresses well through twenty threes and 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 catches the eye and gets a league cup outing or a, you know what late latter stages of the Champions League groups, I mean, it's it's maybe that's maybe that's the route in, and maybe. Maybe that's got implications for some of the midfielders currently at the club as well. I mean, we know that the contract situations running down. We've touched on Angelo Kante already, Jorginho as well. They do need to be thinking about the future, and this is one way of doing that. Not clearly the vast sums of money involved now, but strong Sam Delabona, Luca Picassi vibes about this. I wonder <laughs> if he'll want me to ferry him up and down the M4. <laughs> when he, we'll certainly joins. ask him. <laughs> it is remarkable that we're sort of talking about a. You know, twenty million pounds for for Carney and 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 nineteen million pounds, fifteen to nineteen million pounds for Cassaday, and that's small change as far as Chelsea are concerned. Whereas for the vast majority of Premier League clubs, that's a pretty significant signing for them. Um, you know, this maybe it's just that first summer splurge thing that's happening here with with Chelsea. But it, you know, all those fears that that the new owners were going to be slightly more financially responsible. It doesn't necessarily ring true when you see the outlay this, this summer. And I know that the squad needed revamping and I know that they I can see why they, they, they'd want to restock up with talented players for the future. And some of these will be massive investments, um, potentially with big returns, possibly if they ever get sold. But yeah, it's not quite playing out how people anticipated. Well, speaking of massive investments, the never-tedious Wesley Fofana saga <laughs> rumbles on. Uh, the Athletics' Leicester writer Rob Tanner's got a piece up on the site reporting that he wants to come to Chelsea, but Leicester want a world-record fee for a defender to sell him. 
Is he worth it, Sam? And, and do you think Chelsea need to be lining up alternative targets? Or is this one of those that's going to get done at, at midnight as the transfer window closes? Feels like that, doesn't it? Um, I think, is this a case of a player who missed so much football last year and Leicester was so bad, especially from set pieces, that his value has just gone up and up and his importance to them has just been magnified hugely. Um, I think there's a bit of that, but I think he's an excellent player at a brilliant age. And if you look at the options available, he's right at the top of that list. So, yeah, I mean, they're going to have to pay big, big money, but I think in the long term, he could prove to be an unbelievable signing. Uh, you know, from what I've seen from him, he's he's, he's top, top player. So, um, yeah, it feels like it's going to wrangle on, but it's difficult for, for Leicester, I would imagine now, for him to... T- turn his um, his focus to, to performing for them, you, you'd think the transfer is going to happen. Yeah, and actually, Dom, in that piece I mentioned um, by Rob Tanner, it says that Brendan Rodgers has tried to persuade Fafana that, you know, the best thing for, for him getting in the World Cup will be playing regularly at Leicester. But, but Leicester strike me as this season's bad vibes FC. I mean, they, they haven't started well. They haven't signed anybody. They look like a team on, on a downward turn. Isn't he going to be better off playing for Chelsea and showing what he can do than playing for Leicester in a team that, that looked like they might struggle this season. <laughs> well, this is a Chelsea podcast, isn't it? So yeah, definitely should move to Chelsea. <laughs> um, he'll, he'll get the, he'll get the, the Champions League games. He'll get the, he'll be competing at the right end of the Premier League table. He he will be in that back three. Um, Koulibaly with Thiago Silva and, and Fafana is, that's 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 pretty decent, and it would allow Thomas Tuchel to to rest Thiago Silva occasionally. Um, you know, as Pilaqueta could come in on, on on occasion, but for Fana, you can you could build your the future of your back line around. So that you know, for the purposes of the Chelsea podcast, yeah, definitely make that move. But you know, as a football supporter of a club that doesn't like seeing the best talents disappear to into the the big clubs' massive squads. I, I I would, given the loyalty that Leicester City showed him by giving him a long new long term contract while he had a knee injury, if I was a Leicester City fan, I'd be fairly disappointed to see him agitating now, um, and indeed risk going to a. If he's genuinely, I mean, if it's if he's targeting the World Cup and he's using that as a as a means, to, uh, you know, this is why I want to go. I want to be in the. I want to be playing at the highest level ahead of that. Well. You know, settling into new surroundings, even if you've been playing in the in the division, settling into new surroundings at a new club, a new style of play, etc. You're not guaranteed to hit the ground running, are you? I mean, it's it could be a it could be a bad time to 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 be moving in some ways, given that the, it's a winter World Cup. But look, I'm clutching at straws, and that's 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 my that's my heart talking as a as a supporter of a club that isn't a, one of the elite. Um, if if you're Chelsea, you're yeah, you're targeting Fofana. You're thinking that he he is he is the future and and a great player that they you can make better. Our transfer window shuts on the first of September. Chelsea host Leicester on the twenty seventh of August. I wonder if they're waiting for <laughs> for that to be done uh, before they wrap up the deal. Uh, in terms of outgoings, apparently West Ham have bid for Emerson, which is sad for him because last week we linked him with a, a genuinely big club who uh, who beat West Ham. <laughs> On Sunday, um, <laughs> Don, what's happening with with Marcos Alonso? Did, does he know that the season's already started? I mean, is he actually going to end up going to Barcelona or not? That this this is putting the the pro in protracted transfer. But I, I don't think that's down to him. I think that's down to the circus that is Barcelona. I mean, it's I mean, who who out there, including members of the Barcelona hierarchy, knows what's going on at that club and 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 how that club is operating at the moment. The the, the suggestion is that. Six million pounds will probably take him there. Incidentally, going back to Emerson, if Chelsea have really rejected twelve million pounds in, in the hope they get fifteen for Emerson, oh come on, just take the money. And it must have been an incredibly weirdly structured deal. Maybe potentially worth twelve million if West Ham win the Champions League. If it's for them to have not that back, I mean, it's it's you'd imagine that they you can't be you've got this excess of of players that clearly aren't part of the plans at Chelsea, clearly aren't good enough to be part of the plans. Yeah, any kind of bid that comes in for them, surely you let them go. Surely. Or are they being daft? Sam? Um, yeah, I think in this case, possibly, you're right, yeah. 
Um, there's so much competition. I mean, he's done all right, hasn't he, when he's come in, but that's not going to be the case this season. He's not even going to get the games, um, the low-key games, is he, because of the competition down that left-hand side. So to recoup that that type of money would seem good business. OK, so we'll wait and see on Emerson. We mentioned Callum hudson Doy. Apparently, Todd Bowley has, has said he doesn't want him to go permanently, but he can go out on loan. Where would the best place for him to be to go to to make the improvements that we need to see from him do you think Sam I'm thinking maybe a Brighton or somebody like that might quite suit him for a season yeah I think he's going to have to have the conversation with the manager and weigh up where that he's going to be played uh, what the competition is in those areas and make a decision based on that it doesn't always end well for me uh, for, for the player sorry I remember going to Ipswich and thinking that it was all going to be rosy because there was a clear spot for me in the team and it didn't turn out well. My my reason for turning down Norwich at the time was because Dean Ashton was the, the centre forward who not only looks like me, but was a lot better than me. <laughs> so um, Callum Hudson-Odoi will have to look at that, uh, the type of conversations you have. Look, you've got so-and-so, am I going to play wide on the left-hand side in a 4-2-3-1 or, or what, what have you? So I don't know. I think it's sensible to loan him, of course, because we're all desperate for him to do well and for him to show the potential that he showed f- four years ago or whatever it was now. But I don't think that he's performed brilliantly when given opportunities. I think I said on the previous podcast, actually, when he's been slung on the right-hand side, wing-back, um, to do a job for the team, he's actually prospered better than he's done in the front line. You know, he's not He's not producing the assists or, or or getting goals that we anticipated. So he needs to go and play, and hopefully that will that will rekindle what what he looked like he was going to be because he was phenomenal. You know, I said again previously when he came through, this was like I think I said at the time the best one I'd seen that um, in the academy, the best young player I'd seen coming through. You know, in the the, the five or six years of covering the academy games, and it's not really materialised in in the manner that I thought it would. You know, more exciting than, than Mason and, and Reese and people like that when he broke on the scene. So hopefully it will still happen for him. I mean, he, he can take um, <laughs> he can take note of uh, Loftus-Cheek's performance at the weekend. How many times have we thought Loftus-Cheek's uh, Chelsea career was over um, it, and it looks like he might be a, a permanent fixture this year? We should, I mean, obviously Brighton is the, the type of club where he would thrive. He, obviously, they can't go to Brighton because Colwell is there, so that's one loanee from Chelsea done. But, but in that type of system where a manager could coax the best out of him, and and Graham Potter would be the type of manager that you'd want to to develop Callum Hudson as well. I wonder whether how again. I mean, there's, there was a story in one of the one of the papers this week linking Newcastle with buying about four Chelsea players, fringe players, which. Which would be really useful for Chelsea, I think. I mean, just just to clear of, clear the decks a bit, maybe one of one of them would be alone, and maybe that would be a, a Hudson Odoi because he, as Sam says, he's got all the he's got the tools there to be really exciting, to be a really a, a player that gets you know fans on their feet at, at games and thrilling at his his potential and his and 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 what he can do, the skill out there. Um, but he just haven't seen enough of it at Chelsea. May, may, he would argue that he hasn't been offered the opportunities in the areas that he wants, but we, we haven't seen, when he has been offered those those chances, he, he hasn't really seized them. Would you have him at Palace? Been a successfully trodden path for a few Chelsea players the last couple of years? It's, he's, and this is going to sound ridiculous and Chelsea fans will, will balk at this, but there isn't a place for him at Palace. I mean, that's Zaha's place on the left-hand side on the front three. If, he's, if, if Zaha plays centrally, then... And they've got, they have numerous other forwards that want to be playing in that that area already, and that's a club that's trying to, trying sort of to to live within its means. So taking on a loanee that's earning six figures a week and isn't really going to feature very often is probably not the answer. It's not a clearly a Palace podcast, but that would it would hinder Eze and Elise, um, yeah, wouldn't it, uh, Dom? Who it's a big season for those two, and when you think of the financial outlay, it it wouldn't make sense, would it? Because those two and Ebiori as well. I mean, he's he's a, he's another player that wants yeah. to play in that front three. So, all right, Leicester or Newcastle, it is then. And that's what we'll come in <laughs> with a late bid. Um, 
maybe try and chuck a Ross Barkley in there too, wherever he goes. Uh, <laughs> elsewhere in Chelsea news, uh, remember that star-studded under-21 game we mentioned on Monday? Ethan Ampadi, Ben Shilwell, Trev Chalaber and Carney Chukwemeka all started for the Blues in PL2, but they couldn't prevent a 3-0 home defeat against Fulham. Sam, you know full well what it's like when some senior pros come in and, and disrupt the youth team vibes. <laughs> I do, yeah, and it, it evoked memories of... Uh of a game that I played in, partly because it's uh, obviously still at King's Meadow. But, you know, I've read some stuff in the wake of this game about it being a disjointed performance and sometimes it can hinder. I'm not sure I buy into that. I think it should inspire, really. As soon as they step onto the training pitch, they probably walk through some stuff maybe Sunday, Monday morning. But when you see these four guys, four or five first-team players involved, that should inspire the rest of the guys. And they should be able to fit in pretty seamlessly. You know, it's... uh, it's a style of play. It's a club they all know well, and there shouldn't be, you know, too many problems getting up to speed in terms of the tactics that they play. Um, so yeah, I, I just recalled a game against Southampton when Gus Poyer played in the midfield at Kings Meadow in the reserves, and Graham Lasso played, and Graham Lasso stuck three on my head, and uh, got <laughs> I got a hat trick, and uh, I ran over to Graham, who was on the touchline near the near the dugouts, um, so euphoric. And I got about 10 yards from him and I realised, yeah, Graham's played about 50 times for England. And he was just looking at me so blankly and I've gone over and given him this cuddle. And he reluctantly hugged me back. Um, but it was, an, it was a real indication, an example to me, just, you know, the difference, I suppose, in where Graham was in his career and how excited I was as a young lad. So it inspired me playing with those guys that day. Um, and I think... Yeah, it's a disappointing result, but I don't buy into it being a, a reason for a disjointed performance. I think the lads should 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 rally unless the the lads are not trying a leg, which uh, I could name a few lads that used to do that in the reserves, but I won't today. <laughs> oh, well, Lasso is often on duty for NBC up at the gantry at Stamford Bridge. So next time I see him, I'll say you're that bloke who set up Sam Parking for a hat trick. <laughs> well, I saw him. Game. I saw him in the lift at Spurs <laughs> at the back end of last season, and. Um, I reintroduced myself, but me and Graham used to get on brilliantly. I used to absolutely love him. And I think there was a period when we were both injured. So I spent a lot of time with him. And um, because I was um, I was always basically asking him for restaurant recommendations and stuff like that. So he, he thought I was, um, yeah, um, yeah. That, 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 I don't know. I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but I had a good relationship with him. And um, I was glad he, re- he remembered those days when I saw him recently. <laughs> Uh, back to 2022, the next game for the under-21s is away at Arsenal on Saturday. Meanwhile, the under-18s at home to Leicester. Uh, the women's team, by the way, are on a pre-season trip to the States at the moment. They take on Leon in a friendly in Portland uh, Thursday, uh, sometime late in the US. We'll let you know how they got on on Monday. Uh, before we go today, though, it's time to quiz. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham, all new, Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. Right, listen, you know the drill. Three questions per contestant. Chelsea versus Leeds is the theme. Dom, you're up first. Who was the referee when Chelsea won 3-0 at Leeds? <laughs> I have no idea, but I, I'm just going to say Anthony Taylor. It was Anthony Taylor. Hey. <laughs> Topical. Uh, right, 1-0. Sam, here's your first question. Who made their final Chelsea appearance during that game at Elland Road in May? Um, have I texted you his name already today? Saul? No. Oh, come on. Can you steal it, Dom? Christensen? Christensen was correct, yeah. Ooh. Really behind it now. 
uh, Sam. Okay, I had a bit of a panic this morning just before we started recording that we had this question last year, so I've made it a little bit tougher for you, Dom, just in case. Oh, thanks, Matt. Brilliant. <laughs> Name all six clubs that Patrick Bamford had loan spells at during his time as a nominal Chelsea player. <laughs> Six? You can't get him to name all six. That's preposterous. I think we had name four of the six last year. So really? going I, all six. I wasn't even on that pod last year. Um, to well, you definitely came to Palace, so that that's one of them. Um, Correct. Uh, Middlesbrough. I'll give you a bit of a clue. He went to one. Hang of on, hang on, hang on. No clues. I've got five. Okay. What? You, which who did you say? Then? I said Middlesbrough. He had to spell at Middlesbrough. Yeah, didn't he? I did very well. Did there, he join yes, them afterwards? I think as well. Do I get an extra one for that? No. Damn it. Um, he when he left Palace, he went to Norwich. Okay, we're halfway there. Um, didn't he go to? Um, he's a Nottingham Nottingham boy, isn't he, Patrick? So did so he not he go is. to Derby at one point? Disgraced himself with a spell at Derby. Yes. Um, Two more to go. He's not going to get one, so I'm I'm feeling comfortable in my seat. Yeah, I think there's one he's not going to get. But and he was I good there as well. He's the same one that you think. He was good there. <laughs> Probably his other good loan spell um, with Middlesbrough. MK Dons? Oh. MK Dons is right. I thought you'd get that. I don't think you'll get the next one. I've underestimated my peril. So I've got five out of six, and if I get yeah. if I don't get the sixth and Sam gets it, he steals the point. That's correct. A lot of pressure. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. Uh, uh, for the merits of the uh, the tension and the game, you want me to get this, oh, one, okay. don't you? Really? <laughs> can Can you give me the chronology? What, what stage? Because he started his first one was MK Dons, wasn't it? Because that, that was presumably where he. I think he, he, he got pyramid. he got pelters at Palace, didn't he? And I think he yeah. got pelters at this club as well. Yeah, it's, it's very sort of all or nothing with Patrick Bamford's loan spells. So MK Dons was the first, then Derby, then Borough. Then Palace, then somewhere then Norwich. Else. Oh, was it then Norwich? Need to introduce some form of countdown clock here, yeah. don't we? Uh, All right, so it's another Premier League club after Norwich. Um, yeah. Uh, mm, mm. Yes, it was. Yes, then it was. Yes. Oh man, no. I had a big fallout with the manager, supposedly, or they didn't see eye to eye. This is unbelievable. He's done really well so far. Yes, yeah. No, I, I genuinely, I, I don't know. Um, uh, West Brom, I have no idea. Oh, it's close. West Brom's a good guess, to be fair. Uh, and you're in the right ballpark, but Sam put, put Dom out of his misery. I think it's Burnley. It is Burnley, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Didn't get on with Sean Dyche, really? Didn't get on with Sean Dyche. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that was a really good effort, Dom. I think you, you. You, get, you get the moral point, if not. The <laughs> um, Sam, but unbelievably, for a quiz that seems to be going on for about half an hour, this is your second question. Uh, the <laughs> The first Premier League game between Chelsea and Leeds at Allen Road finished 1-1 back in March 1993. Which former Northern Ireland international got the Chelsea goal that day? It's 2-1 to Dom at the moment. Northern Irish? 1993. <laughs> Where's Simon when you need him? <laughs> oh, it's going to annoy me, but I can't think of anyone Northern Irish that played for Chelsea in the early 90s. Hmm. Pen in mouth, looking off to the middle distance. All classic things that quiz contestants do when they're trying to rack their brains. I'd get it if we had all day, but I'm just the. He's definitely losing his listeners. This, you know. <laughs> get it? Um, it's not. A, it's not a striker. Lucy I, I can't think. I, a bit. No, I, I can't think of any. <laughs> yeah. I can't think of anyone. I want to say Mal Donaghy, but I know he's. Southern Irish, and uh, he came up last week. So, no, I haven't got anything. I'm completely blank. Okay, if you're listening last week, you would have heard me apologise for the fact that I made a mistake saying that Mal Donaghy actually played for Northern Ireland. Uh, <laughs> Do I get a uh, guess here? It was, it was Mal Donaghy. <laughs> no. Yeah. I, I'm not sure what happens here, but I think probably award me the point. <laughs> Well, let's see if it counts for anything. I think I, because I did say last week that actually that was wrong and he did play for Northern Ireland, I don't think I can give you the point. But let's see. Look, you, you're 2-1 down. Dom needs to put this in for it to even be a factor. In eight games against Leeds, how many goals has Mason Mount scored? Four. 
Four. Sam? It's three or five then, isn't it? Um, <laughs> um, I feel as if I've been stitched by the numbers today. Five. Oh, it's three, I'm afraid. <laughs> no way. <laughs> uh, right, by my reckoning, it's it's 2-1. So, full level. <laughs> Sam, which academy graduate who played 42 games for Chelsea and won the FA Cup in 2000 got the only goal of the game when the Blues won at Leeds earlier that year, the year being 2000? My mate, John Harley. Hey, that's correct. That means it's 2-2. Two, two. Um, would you like to take a point apiece or would you like a tiebreaker? Well, I've missed lunch, so yeah, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> How many Instagram followers? Oh, no, come on. <laughs> the listeners right, have it. had enough. Come on, they've had enough. Surely, right. I'll take a point. Whoever gets the nearest minute to this wins, okay? What? Uh, in what minute did Patrick Bamford give Leeds the lead at Stamford Bridge in December 2020? Uh, there's a bit of brinkmanship going on here, so I just say, Dom, you can guess first. Why? Close, oh, closest closest wins. Tenth. To get it bang on the money. Tenth. Okay, any improvement on that, Sam? 2020, he scored at Stamford Bridge. Yeah, it was in December. Behind, uh, there may have been like 8,000 fans or reduced capacity or something there, but um, eventually finished 3-1 to Chelsea. 20th. Dom, you are this week's winner. It was the fourth minute in which... That's a pretty awful guess. <laughs> it was a pretty awful quiz. So yes. In a lot of ways, it's, um, it's pretty fitting. But we're done with that for this week. Hopefully someone enjoyed that. So uh, sorry to the listeners. <laughs> lots of people, Dom, will have been enjoying your piece on Angolo Kante. Now that you're back from holiday, what else is on your agenda for the next few weeks, please? Uh, I am disappearing off to France tomorrow for a uh, to spend a bit of time at Toulouse Football Club. Um, who have just been promoted back to Ligue 1. And uh, I've got a series of interviews and behind-the-scenes things happening there. Um, and they play Lorient at the weekend on Sunday. So, um, yeah, writing about Toulouse. Damien Camoli's uh, club. So you're going to see Reese Healy then, Dom, by the looks of it. Rhys Healy's I've never heard there, of this guy. 27 years old, time from MK Dons. Oh, and yeah, 19 yeah. goals in Ligue 2 last season. Yeah, yeah. that one amazing season at MK and off he went. That's it. That's the one. Um, and he's currently being courted by quite a few championship clubs. This time last year, Matt, it would have been Nottingham Forest going through indefinitely. I mean, in fairness, can't I can't it rule it out now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you might well have signed him by the time this pod uh, goes live. Uh, we're looking forward to reading that. Athletic.com slash Chelsea pod, the place to go to sign up if you're not yet a subscriber. There's all those other articles we've mentioned today as well that are Chelsea adjacent. So do check them out if you like. It's only a pound a month for your first six months. Uh, many thanks to Phil for joining us earlier. Also to Dom and Sam and to producer Lucy and to you too, listener. We'll be back to Thursday for our second slot of the week as of next week. So thanks for bearing with us at the start of this season. Have a good weekend, enjoy the game and we'll catch up with you on Monday. The Athletic.